Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Psalm 90, verses 1 through 17. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. You grind people to dust and you say, return, children of Adam. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day, like yesterday that has gone by, or like a watch in the night. You sweep them away like a flood. They are like sleep in the morning, like grass which changes quickly. In the morning it sprouts and grows. By evening it is cut down and it withers. Surely we are consumed by your anger and by your wrath we are terrified. You have laid out our guilty deeds in front of you. Our hidden sins are revealed in the light of your face. For all our days pass away under your fury. We finish our years like a sigh. The days of our lives add up to 70 years or 80 years if we are strong. Yet the best of them are trouble and sorrow, for they disappear quickly and we fly away. Who can understand the power of your anger? But your fury is consistent with the fear that is owed to you. Teach us to number our days in such a way that we bring a heart of wisdom. Turn, O Lord, how long? Change your mind towards your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your mercy so that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. Let your deeds be seen by your servants and your majesty by their children. May the kindness of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Psalm 90, as it's stated, written by Moses, is more than likely the oldest psalm in the Psalter. More than likely, Moses thought of this psalm several times as he led a rebellious people out, out of Egypt and and into the promised land. But as we see right away, it's a prayer. And it's appropriate to end the old year and look forward to the new year with the oldest psalm in the Psalter that is a prayer. And our sermon theme is a prayer for the years to come. And part of that prayer is the second half of verse 1. The name used for the Lord there is the name that emphasizes that God is all powerful, that he's the one who created the universe and hence he owns it. And so it says, oh, master, you yourself have been a dwelling place for us generation after generation. A dwelling place, a shelter, but not just a shelter, a home. As many of you climbed out of the 28 mile an hour winds into our church, you made a comment tonight about how nice it was to instantly be out of the wind. God subjected this world to decay when Adam and Eve fell into sin. And we see how the wind will rip shingles off a roof and then start ripping the roof off. The wind will knock you down. The wind wears things out and blows snow. Well, that's what it's like living in this world. God is our shelter. God, as little children sing, has the whole world in his hands. And as Moses points out, he's been our dwelling place for generation after generation. He's not talking about unbelievers here. He's talking about the invisible church made up of the first believers 
when God gave faith to Adam and Eve in the coming Savior, right up to the last person to be converted before Christ returns. God is the shelter of the invisible church, of all believers. And so a prayer for the years to come is a prayer that God remains our home. But our homes wear out. Our clothes wear out. We need a permanent home that lasts for all eternity. And so in verse 2, Moses says, Even before the mountains were begotten, or you brought forth in labor pains the earth and the world, you are from everlasting to everlasting, O God. No matter what you turn to in this world, it is not a solid anchor. It will pass. It will rust away. It will be destroyed on the last day. But not God. All things owe their existence. He's the one who created it. They owe their existence to Him. He owns all things and He's eternal. And anything else that is eternal owes its eternity in God. And so we see a prayer for the years to come that God remains our permanent home because God is eternal. But now let's take a look at how things aren't so permanent for us. Verse 3 says, Time after time you return people to powder. Indeed, you say, Return, sons of Adam. And remember the name Adam literally means dirt because Adam was made from dirt. And he returns to that because he fell into sin and our bodies decay. In fact, a thousand years in your sight are like a day, like yesterday when it passes by and like a watch in the night. You and I are subject to time, and we know our time is ticking shorter and shorter with every year that passes. But not God. God is not subject to time. He's above time. God created time. And so we're told, you sweep them away in a flood. Time after time, they are asleep in the morning, like the grass sprouts and passes on. In the morning it sprouts, yet in the evening it passes on. Towards the evening it withers and then dries up. What a dismal picture to look at our lives. Our life is temporal. This world is temporal, and it goes by pretty fast. That's why we have a prayer that God remains our permanent home. God is eternal. Our life is temporal. We have eternal life in Him. And why is our life temporal? Because of our sin. Because Adam and Eve fell into sin. Remember, they were supposed to eat of the tree of the life of life and never die. And so we're told in verse 7, For we are consumed in your anger, and we are terrified in your wrath. God subject the world to decay. Every one of us has a sinful nature. Every one of us suffers death because of our sins. Every one of us suffers the miseries of this world. And even though discipline is a blessing from God, we often view that as suffering as well. And he says that in verse 8. He says, you set our twistings of your holy will before you, our hidden things in the illumination of your presence. A teenager's parent tells him, be home at midnight. The teenager twists the parent's will to conform to what they want, so they think if they're in the driveway talking to their girlfriend, then they're home, right? And the parent's out there saying, get in here, you're grounded. But I've been in the driveway since midnight. Yeah, well, I had to stay up an extra half hour while you dilly-dallied. We take God's will like that teenager and we twist it to serve our purposes. God's holy ten commandments, we'll quickly twist them just a little bit, just so that we can say we're not sinning. And we're told our hidden things in the illumination of your presence. How often do we try to hide our sins under the rug? We can't hide them. How often do we hide them from ourselves? We don't even realize we've sinned, but they can't be hidden from God. God knows what we've done. Our sin 
on earth here. Our sin earns God's wrath. And, and sin is a very serious thing. When we look past on the previous year and say, yeah, I didn't live holy this year, and I know I'm not going to do it next year. Not that I don't want to, but I can't. I'm a sinner. And so he says in verse 9, in fact, all our days slip away in your fury. We finish our years like a moan. That's it. Life in this world is a life lived because of our sin, knowing what we deserve. We know that ultimately we deserve hell. And so he says, as for the days of our years in them are 70 or 80 years. If we have the strength, yet the best of them are toil and trouble. For they pass away quickly and we fly away. Who is the one who knows the power of your anger? The devil does. Those burning in hell. You and I, even the atheist in this world, still receives good from God. So they don't fully understand how powerful God's anger is. But we're told, yet your wrath is proportionate to the fear that is due you. If somebody wants to scream, it's unfair. It's unfair that God holds us accountable for our unholiness. To recognize God is holy. He made Adam and Eve holy. God is just. The holiness we owe him, we are supposed to show towards him and in our daily lives is proportionate to God's holiness. And so our sins earn God's wrath. And yet, because of that, our life is temporal, but God is eternal. And so we pray for the years to come that God remains our permanent home keeps us in our faith, and gives us the everlasting life that he promised us. But Moses now gets a lot more encouraging. In verse 12 he prays, Bring us to know how to count our days correctly, and we will get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? And change your mind about your servants. Let your committed love satisfy us in the morning, and we will shout with joy, and we will rejoice in all our days. You can almost imagine one of the many times the Israelite rebelled against God and God said, here's the discipline, and, and, and Moses saying, Lord, please, not much longer, like a child who's been grounded for two weeks, and the two weeks seem eternal for them. But brothers and sisters in Christ, even in God's discipline, he's guiding us. The prayer, bring us to know how to count our days correctly, and we will get a heart of wisdom. What are we praying there? Let us use your law as a guide. Not motivated because we have to. Motivated because you have saved us and we are your children. And using that law as a guide, being in your word, seeing the right motivation, that gives us a heart of wisdom. Contrary to the world's wisdom, which will cling to all those temporal things that are falling away from them. He says, let your committed love satisfy us in the morning. How amazing that is. God is committed to us. Just like the Israelites continually rebelled against God, yet he was committed and he kept his promises that a Savior would be born in the land he had promised to Abraham through Abraham's descendants. And he's committed to us. Let your committed love satisfy us in the morning. Let us be happy in this world to know your grace. And when we know God's grace, that's all we really need. Because in his grace, he provides for all the other things we need. And we're told, and we will shout with joy and we will rejoice in all our days. So a prayer for the years to come is that we be guided by God's wisdom. Let us stay in your word. Let us love your word as we love you. And that word will guide us and we will be wise in your ways. Then he says in verse 15, cause us to rejoice for as many days as you have afflicted us for as many years as we've seen distress. Let your work appear to your servants and your splendor over their sons. And may the beauty of the master, our God, be upon us. Establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands upon us. By the wisdom of that word, we're able to recognize the work of God. 
And what a blessing it is to recognize the work of God. When hard times come, God's at work using this for our good, we can say. And oftentimes even to look back in the past year and see those hard times and say, and I see how God was using that for our good. Sometimes it might be decades later before we can see where a particular cross was used for our good or the good of our neighbor. Brothers and sisters in Christ, And so after that, we also turn around and say our work, the work that we do, not the work that we do against God, but the work we do in our vocations, in our callings in life, as father and mother, child, student, in our careers. We don't just do those for a paycheck. We don't just do those because we have to. We do those because God has called us to those. Because God provides those services and those roles through us. And so when we can see God's hand at work, then we're blessed to see our hands at work and God's hands working through our hands. What a joy and privilege it is to do something and see it was not in vain. How frustrating it is to build and watch the winds tear it down and rip it apart. But when you can see God's hands... Even if the wind is ripping it apart, then you can see God's hand have a reason for ripping it apart. And so we pray that we see the work of God's gracious hand. And so we pray as we look to the years to come that we see the work of God's gracious hand. And therefore, we'll see how he's blessing the work of our hands as well. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, as we wrap up this year and look forward to the next year and the many years we have, We see a prayer for the years to come, that God remains our permanent home, that we be guided by each day by God's wisdom, and that we see the work of God's gracious hand. Amen. Since our sermon has been on that threefold prayer, let us wrap up our sermon with that prayer. Gracious Lord, as we look into the unknown of the year and all the years to come, we ask you to remain our shelter from this world of sin and bring us safely to our eternal home before your throne. As we live each day of the coming year, let us be guided by your word and wisdom until we arrive safely in your heavenly mansion. Whether it's the joy or the hardships in the days that lie before us, give us the faith to see your hand working all things for our eternal well-being and the eternal well-being of all your elect. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.